What's good, y'all? It is a great joy to be here with you. Uh, I am delighted to be here with you. And what I hope to accomplish over the next 20 minutes, I just need y'all to know up front that tonight I'm preaching a sermon to myself. You just happen to be here. This is going to be one of those nights where rather than me preaching at you, I'm going to be preaching to myself and you have a window, a small vignette into my heart and what God is doing in me tonight. If you've got your copy of God's word, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1? And as you turn there, uh, let me just say this. I want to honor the house. Uh, Shouts out to Brentwood Baptist. Shouts out to y'all, Kairos. Shouts out to my man, Chris Brooks, perpetually looking homeless. (laughs) And yet he is... One of the godliest men that I know, a brother who I've been partnered in ministry with for some time. I praise God for he and Audrey and their ministry here and their own ministry to me. We're going to begin first tonight in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 16. When you get there, say, oh yeah. yeah. Let's ride. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints." This is the word of the Lord. And before considering it, we should pray. So let's pray. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory on account of your steadfast love and your mercy. Son of God, would you speak? Your servants are listening. Holy Spirit, you are the hand that penned the words on these pages. Would you be our guide and our interpreter this evening, I pray. Amen. I'll never forget the first time I was introduced to Connie Hawkins. And I'll never forget watching the way that Connie moved. Many of you don't know who Connie Hawkins is, but Connie Hawkins is the man who invented the finger roll. And I was introduced to Connie Hawkins by a man named George Gervin, longtime Hall of Fame basketball player with the San Antonio Spurs. And I remember watching clips of him back in the 70s, the way that he would move and glide, the way that he would gently flip this ball back up into the rim. And then watching George, I started watching Connie back in the days of the ABA. My man was rocking a fro the tall rainbow socks. And back in that day, the brother was so smooth. He was poetry in motion. And then after watching Connie, I got introduced to George Gervin. They called him the Iceman. Being a young black kid in Birmingham, all we did was hoop. So I'm watching George hoop, and I'm like, man, I love the way this dude moves. It's so beautiful. This guy, this man, is poetry in motion. 
And I'm an 80s baby, so coming up, I grew up in the golden era of basketball and was introduced pretty early to a man named Irving Magic Johnson. And I'll never forget watching him and that Lakers team, Showtime, get it in on that court, giving Larry Bird and them Celtics the business. <laughs> and I would watch this man flip balls behind his neck and throw it behind his back. And the way that he moved, I couldn't imagine a man near seven feet tall move like that poetry in motion. And here recently, we've all been introduced to this young man, Steph Curry, who is poetry in motion. I'm a bit of an eclectic man. I love music, and from the earliest memories, I can hear the sweet soliloquies that Etta James and Ella Fitzgerald would sing, and all of the words were poetry in motion, musical notes swirling around my head, moving in and out of my heart and my spirit. It was poetry in motion. And so when I was a kid and I'd be out on the court and I'd try to play, I would imagine myself playing as if I were Connie Hawkins or George Gervin or Magic Johnson to the tune of, at last... My love has come along, right? So here I am in my driveway playing basketball, missing every finger roll and stumbling over myself because after all, I was 130 pounds in the third grade. All y'all going to hell for laughing. <laughs> I'm, jokes. What I was... What I was in that driveway, it was not poetry in motion. It was a pudgy kid trying to be something that he was not. It was an overweight kid who loved the idea of being beautiful and moving beautifully, but had zero capability of doing that. I wasn't poetry in motion. But when we get to Ephesians 1, what Paul begins to describe concerning the Christian is so beautiful. And I can't help but to think and to realize that most of my life is indeed not poetry in motion. Most of my life is a cacophony of ununiformed sounds. If you've ever heard a symphony orchestra tuning up before symphony, rather than they strike into the first unified syncopated tunes in their aria, then you would know what my life is like. It's a mess. All out of order, steps taken in ways and in fashions that they should not be. My whole life, I want it to look one way, and it looks Another way, when Paul writes in Romans 7, and he says, the things that I don't want to do, I do them, and the things that I want to do, I don't do those. That is, in a lot of ways, the anthem of my life. Now, I got to remind y'all, I'm preaching to myself tonight. You just happen to be in the room. But when I read Paul's words in Ephesians 1, verses 16 through 18, I find great strength. Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. Notice the Trinitarian action of what's getting ready to happen. We see Father, we see Son, we see Spirit. And what is Paul asking? 
He's asking that God would give us the revelation and the knowledge of him, right? And then he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I love this. I grew up in an all-black Pentecostal church, but on occasion I would go to a church with my white friends. And they used to love singing this song. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And I used to be like, man, your heart ain't got no eyes. What you talking about? But what Paul is saying, I pray that your heart, the center of your emotions, the center of your affections, that the way you feel about God might literally have eyes to see so that you might be able to see what God thinks about you. Look at this, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and then what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I might get happy and start shouting. Y'all just gonna have to hold on a minute, but I want you to look at something. He says, what are the riches of whose glorious inheritance? His. But wait a minute, God, my life is Messed up. I'm jacked up. I'm not beautiful. I'm frequently crass. I don't think much about myself. I am frequently in habitual sin, dragging myself before you all the time, asking God, would you forgive me? This is the last time this is ever going to happen. Over and over and over again, I want to be poetry in motion. I desire to live a beautiful life, and I don't. In short, God, I am thoroughly jacked up, and you know it. But then I read in Ephesians 1.18, and he says, what are the riches? He says, I pray that you might have the eyes of your hearts enlightened to know that you may know what hope it is of which he's called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Man of God, woman of God, seeker, skeptic, I want you to hear this truth. You are who he is, glorious. Now, let me break this down. I didn't grow up with much, right? I grew up poor. So I used to always grow up wanting to be Bill Gates' son, right? I used to want to be Bill Gates' son because Bill Gates got that guap. I mean, let's just be real. Guap means money. He has a lot of money. Stacks, racks, bread, cash, right? Whatever y'all call it, greenbacks. <laughs> greenbacks. <laughs> but I used to want to be a son, and I kind of wanted to kill him off because I wanted his money. <laughs> right? Here's Bill Gates with all this money, his kids. I imagine in my mind when I'm 8, 9, 10 years old that I'm going to get all of Bill Gates' bread, right? Because I want the inheritance that is due to me because of who my dad is, right? So in order to get an inheritance, someone has to die. How is it that Paul says that we, the saints, what is his glorious inheritance in the saints? How is that even possible? It is because of the person and work of Christ. That you, jacked up, thoroughly broken, me, thoroughly broken, jacked up, unpretty, 
because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, might be made so clean that we are now an inheritance, not just fit for a king, but fit for the king. (laughs) You, if you're a Christian, you are glorious. You are as he is. Glorious poetry in motion. I often believe lies about myself. One that I've been battling lately and believing lately is, Jason, you are an incredible preacher, and your significance comes from what you do in that pulpit. You know where else it says, Jason, you are a wonderful husband and father. And your significance comes from what you do at home. Jason, you're a wonderful friend. And your significance comes from what you do with your friends. Our church is in a series looking at the book of Ruth. And as we're looking at God intentionally centering women in the text to teach us more about himself, we're introduced to three women, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. All three women are husbandless. All three women are childless. All three women are detached from family. And they're doing so in an ancient culture that tells women that if you are a mother or if you're a wife, then you are significant. And if you're not a mother, and if you're not a wife, then you are not significant. Sound familiar? Essentially, the ancient Near Eastern culture placed so much significance on what you do, primarily who you are by what you do or bear, that should you not be married, should you not be a mother, then you have no significance. And the whole narrative of the book of Ruth is centered around God's activity in the midst of brokenness. And what he does in brokenness is he redeems it and he uses it ultimately for his glory. We must, my friends, fight the lie that says, I am what I do. And finding significance in what we do. Humans are great at trying to find a leg up over someone else. What makes me better than someone else? Is it because of where I'm from, what I do for work, who my family is? Is it my own political views? Is it where I live? Whatever gives me an edge. Well, I'm not as uh, much of a jerk as he is, or I'm not as much of a you-know-what as she is, and I'm better than you. All these attempts at comparative righteousness in order to place ourselves above someone else, all the time trying to derive our significance from that, there's only one problem. It ultimately runs out. And then, and then many of our generation turns to self-help books or self-help podcasts as if they are the solution. But let me just let you in on something. Do you know why we have a plethora of self-help books and podcasts? It's because they don't work. (laughs) 
a new self-help book, a new podcast, seven more steps for your best life, eight more steps into financial freedom. And the whole time we're looking for a book or a podcast or a story to give us significance when we are the glorious inheritance to God. Now, peep this. God is the one. God who, who is the one who all of the universe explodes from his vocal cords at a mere whisper. That should you hear in the vacuum of space, though you can't hear in the vacuum of space, let's suppose you could. What you would hear is every star, every planet, every comet, every asteroid, every speck of dust singing sovereign celestial soliloquies to God. In all of their splendor, you would hear all of the universe singing its praises to God. And if you could go to Saturn and look at Saturn, yo. God loves so much, God loves Saturn so much, he didn't just put one ring on Saturn, he put a gang of rings on Saturn. <laughs> the God who all of creation was created by him, through him, and for him. He has literally the universe singing his praises. Angels, myriads of angels circling the throne of his praise, singing and declaring out to God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The entire earth is full of his glory. And yet, he considers you to be his inheritance. And you ain't just no regular inheritance. You ain't no Bill Gates inheritance. That's regular compared to God. You are glorious. Now, that only happens. That only happens if we flip over to chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We become the glorious inheritance of God in the saints, the saints, the agios, the holy ones, those who've been ransomed by God. In verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. You see, our own story as Christians is our significance doesn't come by what we do. It comes from what has been done for us. Because when Christ, Jesus, laces up his work boots and goes to work for you, it's so that you might be able to rest forever. But there's something even more beautiful here. In verse 10, for we are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is where it gets good. Paul says, for you are the workmanship of God. That word in the Greek is the word poema. It's where we get our English word poem from. I was an English major at Ole Miss, and so I would memorize Tennyson, and I would memorize all these poems so I could go spit them at the young ladies on campus. <laughs> and when I was in high school... I wasn't just a roses of red kind of guy, violets of blue kind of guy. I was the how do I love thee, let me count the ways kind of guy. <laughs> Poetry. That word, your translation might even have that word translated as masterpiece. 
If you've been ransomed and redeemed by God and you rest in the finished work of Jesus, then despite the lies you tell about yourself, I'm not skinny enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not successful enough, I don't make enough money, I'm not a good enough husband, I'm not a good enough boyfriend, I'm going to be lonely forever because nobody wants to deal with me, I'm too weird, I'm not normal enough, I'm not sane enough. All of these lies need to die and be drowned out by the truth that you are the masterpiece of God. Let me put this in perspective. You aren't just some doodle God started to draw and was like, oh, I messed up. Let me crumple it up and throw it in the trash can. <laughs> no. Nah. You are the Mona Lisa of God. You are the David of God. You are the Sistine Chapel of God. God peers into the universe and sees all of his beauty, and yet he looks at you if you're ransomed by Jesus and declares you more glorious than even all of creation. Baby, in short, the universe can't hold a candle to you. And it's not because of you. It's because of what's been done for you. When I read these words on the page, I can't help but to remind myself and to tell you tonight that you in Christ are poetry in motion. That though I might be 130 pounds fumbling and stumbling on the basketball, though I'm a cheeseburger away from 300 pounds now, <laughs> and I'm not as light on my feet, when it comes to God's approval of me, it, he sees me through the lenses of Jesus and declares me his glorious inheritance and I get to become the thing I've always wanted to be, poetry in motion. I get to be the very thing I've longed to be. That's poetry in motion only because of what Jesus has done for me. I need about 120 seconds to reflect on this word, y'all. And maybe you do too. I don't know what the Lord's saying to you. I don't know what he's doing in you. But let's take the next about two minutes to reflect on what God is doing. And maybe this is a time for you to remind yourself of your true worth and value that comes from what God says about you. And if you don't know Jesus, that's okay. Because tonight you can. You can become a believer. You can become poetry in motion if you place your faith in the fact that Christ himself is risen. Let's take the next couple of minutes to reflect on this word from the Lord.
Father in heaven, would you open the eyes of our hearts to see ourselves as you see us. When you peer onto our lives and into our hearts, yes, God, you see the parts that need reform. And yet you already herald us as your glorious inheritance because of what Christ has done. And Lord, I pray that though that may be an intellectual understanding, that you would give our hearts and our affections eyes to believe. That we are significant, that we have worth, that we have value because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Father in heaven, would you be pleased in what we do? Be pleased in our praise, be exalted in our worship, for you are worthy of it all. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.